Good morning. Welcome to RSCC. Rusty, I just want to say this, man. 29 never looks so rough, my man. I just want to say that real quick. <laughs> just kidding. Hey, it is awesome to be with you guys today. We're going to continue this series of summer break. And here's kind of how the next two weeks are going to go. Since they're my last two weeks, what I wanted to do is I wanted to preach some messages that are on my heart. So these are in the top five of messages or, or conversations that I would have if I only had five sermons to preach. So this is going to be one of those. And we're going to look at an encounter today. One of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. One of, it's a, a, a famous story, a very a famous encounter. And I want to take you to the very end of this encounter before we start today. I just want to read to you the words that Jesus said to the man who he's having this encounter with. And, and they have a conversation. We'll look at that conversation. But I want to take you to the very end. This is where we're going to end up today. But this is what Jesus said to this man. Today, salvation has come to this house because this, too, this man, too, is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful that the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. Who is the, who is the lost? That is us, Father. And that, that Jesus came to save each and every one of us. Father, as the day is we have a conversation on a very common encounter. That it, we don't allow the, the familiarity of the story to write us out of the story. We don't just glance over what you said through this encounter, God. So I pray today you use my words to speak a message that will, will touch someone, Father. And that your spirit will move in their heart and, and maybe change their lives for the first time, God. We're so thankful for who you are. In your name we pray. Amen. So how many of you love what is considered like an underdog or redemption story? Anybody in here, right? So I, I want to show you some pictures of underdog stories. First, uh, I think America, if you know the Revolutionary War, the American story was an underdog story, right? So we're built on underdog stories. And then there's the next slide, Rocky. I love Rocky. One of the best movie series of all time, Rocky, Rocky Balboa, the underdog of all underdogs. What else have we got on the, these pictures here? We got Rudy, right? Rudy growing up, like, he got to play Notre Dame football, okay? That's a good story. We love March Madness upsets, right? The Peacocks this year were fun to watch, right? And, and you know, we, we, we cheer for all these big teams to lose, and we cheer for these small teams to win. So they were, you know, St. Peter's Peacocks, good team to watch. The Karate Kid, anybody in here join Karate because of the Karate Kid, right? This is kind of like a redemption underdog story wrapped in one. And then you, I couldn't leave without doing the next one, Hoosiers, right? The Hoosier underdog story. We love underdog stories. If you think about the movies that are popular in society, if you think about the movies that we watch or spend money on or the books we read, often there are stories with redemption in them. Often there are stories about underdogs in them. And we love it. Even though we know what's going to happen at the end, even though we know what's going to happen at the end of Hoosiers, we know what's going to happen in The Karate Kid, and we know what's going to happen in Rudy and Rocky, we will watch these movies over and over and over again. We will eat up stories of redemption of people who have messed their life up and then they're on the path of redemption and that's one part of the American story and the American dream. We love those stories. But what happens is really ironic is we don't take that same energy often into our lives. Man, we will cheer for someone who messed up and we will cheer them on from a distance. We'll say, man, we hope they redeem their lives. We'll look at someone who would be considered an underdog and we'll cheer them on. But then we get to our own lives. We get to our own messes, we see our own last name, we see our own shortcomings and our own faults, and it's as if we start thinking this, 
It's possible for someone else, but not me. It's possible for someone else to do something like that, to have a redemption story, to have a, an underdog story, for, for them to rise out of the ashes, for them to rise out of the dirt. It, it's possible for them, but I don't think that's possible for me. And I, I see this, and while I'm talking about this, I see this all the time, especially when it comes to faith. I, I hear certain things like this. Well, you know, I, I don't know, Nathan. I, I just don't know how God can use me. With my past and what I've done, I don't know how he can use me with my history, right? It's like we think it's possible for God to use people, but it must be someone else and it's not me. And what we do with that is we have this, this weapon that Satan uses against us. And I call it the, the, the inner voice of insecurity. And the insecurity voice or the inner voice of insecurity is that voice that whispers, I'm not whatever enough. I'm, I'm not smart enough. I don't have my life put together enough for God to use me. I'm not from the right family. I don't have enough money. It's like, it's that, that voice that whispers over and over to you. I'm just not enough. And what happens is we start listening to that voice. And we listen to this voice of insecurity, which I believe in today's world is one of Satan's number one tactics that he uses for people to believe that God can't use them. And we start listening to that. And all of a sudden we think we're not enough. And all of a sudden we're like, hey, there's no way that God can use me. He can use someone over there, but he can't use me. And we all have this, this insecurity voice inside of us. And, and some of us may say we don't, or some of us may, it may, it may portray itself in our lives differently. We may kind of be, you know, arrogant up front, but in, in deep we're, you know, insecure. We may be so insecure we don't try something. It kind of manifests itself in different ways, but it's something that happens in all of us. And in my life, it's happened all the time. I, I take myself back to my college graduation, and I often say, if you don't believe in miracles, Nathan graduated college, so you should believe in miracles. And, and so me and Whitney graduated, and we went to the same graduation. She was on the four-year program. I was like on the four-and-a-half-year program, if you get what I'm saying, right? I got, had to take some classes over. So, but but we, we're going to graduation at the same time. If you know anything about our marriage, she is the uh, scholarly one. The smart one, the academic one, and I'm just here for the ride, guys. I don't really know what I am. And, and so she, we started dating in college, and actually I tell people my GPA probably went up two points. So when Whitney gets a degree from LCU, she actually has two degrees, her degree and my degree, right? Like I wouldn't have made it without her. So we're going to graduation, but we have to go early that day. Huh? So we got to go to Lincoln, you know, Lincoln Christian University early that day because Miss Smarty Pants over here graduated with honors or something like that. I don't even know what, I don't know what qualifies as that, but she graduated with honors. So they had to go in early, check in, and they get all their fancy ropes and their fancy scarves, right? And they have to wear them. And, and so everybody there besides myself, had honor, was an honor student, had all these fancy things. So we're sitting in the, the chapel, which the graduation was going to happen in, and I'm surrounded by all these smart people with all these, like, you know, ropes around their neck and scarves. I don't know what they're even called, right? And, and so it's just very clear, those are the smart people in your graduation class, all right? And, and so at first, it didn't really bother me. I was like, I don't want to be one of those nerds anyways. I wanted to have fun in college, right? So I started justifying myself. And then I started to feel a little uncomfortable. I started to get a little insecure. I'm like, man, I'm going to go to Walmart, get my own rope, spray paint it, right? So no, no one will know the difference. But I started thinking, you know, as I sat there, and I was like, man, maybe I'm not going to be as successful as all of them. Maybe I'm not going to be as good at ministry as all of them. 
Maybe God won't use me like he's going to use them. And what should have been a day of celebration, what should have been a day of understanding, like, listen, this is your underdog story, dude. You're the first one in your family to ever graduate college. You're more statistically likely to end up in jail than graduate college, and here you are. Who cares if you don't graduate with honors? I'm letting, that, I'm letting this insecurity steal my celebration. I'm letting this insecurity steal what God's trying to do in my life. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting as I look back, every person I graduated with in ministry no longer is in ministry. Somehow I made it, and God, and it just shows you like God can use anybody. And, and so what I tell people and what I want you to hear and you know, my coming, last coming weeks here, and maybe you need to tell someone this and, and maybe you need this in your life, but Maybe you know this already, but maybe, just maybe, there's someone in your life who doesn't go to church, who, who doesn't, go to, you know, doesn't believe in Jesus yet, that won't go to Jesus, maybe because they feel like they're not good enough, and maybe they need to hear this next slide. Imperfections are a prerequisite to God's grace. If you're messed up, if you think you're messed up, if you think you're flawed, if you think you're sinful, that's a prerequisite to God's grace. And often throughout scriptures, God used messy, broken people to do amazing things. You guys remember the guy in the very beginning named Abraham? Abraham, awesome man of faith. Guess what he was? He was old. He wanted a kid. He wanted a son. He hadn't had a son with his wife. They were old. They hadn't had kids yet. And God's, God's like, hey, Abraham, listen, one day, one day, I'm going to bless you more than the stars in the sky. Your descendants are going to be more than the stars in the sky. That's Abraham. Not much later in the Bible, we come to a man named Moses. Moses it was an underdog story from the beginning. Right? He, his life shouldn't have happened. He should have died. His mom saved him. He was raised in Pharaoh's house, even though he was an Israelite. And he kills a man. He runs into the wilderness, grows a beard, grows his hair wild. And he becomes just hanging out in the wilderness. One day God talks to him and says, Moses, you need to go free my people. And God's like, Moses is like, God, hey, I don't know if you know this or anything, but I don't speak real well. I stutter. And the guy's like, no, listen, Moses, you're exactly who I want to use. So he uses Moses. There's another man named David. He's historically a big figure in the scripture, right? From Jesus comes the line, from the line of David comes Jesus. So David, he, he's the youngest brother. He's a shepherd boy. He fights Goliath, becomes this, this big warrior, the strong warrior, and becomes prideful. He has an incident with Bathsheba where he kills one of his friends because he's lustful and, and, and sleeps with someone else's woman, yet God uses him. Fast forward to the New Testament. We get to disciples. One of the disciples was Matthew. He was a tax collector. Another disciple, Peter. Peter was a loud mouth. He had anger issues. He cuts a man's ear off. And after spending three and a half years with Jesus, guess what he does when Jesus is arrested? Hey, I don't know that dude. Three times I don't know that dude. Denies him. There's another man named Paul in the New Testament. Paul writes many of the, many, all the letters essentially, uh, the, his letters in the scripture, uh, New Testament, most of the New Testament are his letters. He, way before he started reaching Christians with Jesus, he was killing Christians. Imperfections are a prerequisite to God's grace. Some of the most heartbreaking or and discouraging news that I have, or, or not news, but things I run into, is I run into it on a weekly basis, or you know, more than I would like to, is people who say, you know, God just can't use me. God, God I, I don't have the right last name. I have way too many mistakes. Or they say something like this, I'll come to church. What people say when I'll come to church is meaning I'll start considering Jesus. I'll start considering God working in my life 
when my life gets all together. Anybody ever heard this? Like so you try to invite someone to church and the first thing they say, well, if I ever go to those, if I ever go in that building, the, the roof's gonna cave in. Anybody ever hear that, right? That's like the number one excuse. I'm like, hey, listen, bro, go ahead and try it and we'll see if we can handle it, right? Just come on in. But they just say, like they feel deep down they can't come to church. And what they're saying, I feel deep down, I can't come to Jesus yet. I can't allow Jesus in my life yet because I'm not put together enough yet. And I wonder, I just wonder, where do they get that mindset from? Probably somewhere along the way, churches or people, Christians, communicated, hey, you come here when you're ready and put together, right? We say come as you are, but what we really mean is come as the way we want you to be. But we need to, we need to get this message out. Imperfections are a prerequisite to God's grace. And if you're not careful, if we're not careful, we can allow our imperfections and our messes to write ourselves out of God's story for our lives. And so what I want to say today is this, don't let your messes, don't let your shortcomings, don't let your imperfections, don't, don't let your, your sins, your past, your struggles, stop what God wants to do in your life. And maybe you don't need to hear that today, but maybe a grandkid does, your granddaughter, grandson. Maybe your son or daughter who haven't talked to you for a while. Maybe that friend of yours who is struggling in life. Maybe, just maybe you need to hear it. Don't let your mess, your sins, your past, your struggles stop what God wants to do in your life. Because here's the reality we're going to look at today. That God can give you a redemption story. That God can take the worst of the worst. He can take you and me and he can give us a redemption story. And that redemption story is possible through Jesus. And as we watch Jesus live through the Gospels, as we read through the Gospels, you see, see how he lives and the encounter he has. He takes the most unlikely people. And when he calls disciples, he picks the most unlikely people. When he has encounters, he, when he goes to towns, he has an encounter with the most unlikely people. And he offers them a redemption story. So we're going to look at a story in Luke chapter 19. One of my favorite stories of all time. Maybe you heard it as a nursery rhyme, or not nursery rhyme, a, a Sunday school rhyme. But let's check it out. In Luke chapter 19, starting on verse 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there named, by the name of, everybody say it, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. And he was, a wee little man was he. And he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Jesus is going through Jericho. He's walking through the city, Jericho, and he's on his way to Jerusalem. So he, he, he's going to be crucified not too long after all this. And he's walking through Jericho. And, and when he came to the city, when he came to town, people wanted to see him. So Luke is setting us up. This is what's about to happen. But meanwhile, there is someone else in this city of Jericho. Someone by the name of Zacchaeus. And we all know the Sunday school song of Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. I'll stop singing now. But that's the story, right? And, and he was a chief tax collector. And he was wealthy. So Luke is setting us up. He was Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. And he was wealthy. Let's check out what happens. But he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, everybody say short, short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead. Imagine his little legs just running, woo, 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 right? So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So this wealthy man, Zacchaeus, hears that Jesus is coming to town. 
And everybody wanted to see Jesus. So in this time, you got to imagine the path through the town. As you hear someone famous is coming through, that Jesus was coming through. The streets, we, you got to imagine streets back then. But they, they were starting to get full. So if you're like at a parade and you're a short person, you probably want to be in front so you can see. But Zacchaeus couldn't see. But he wanted to see. So he's going to have to find a way to go see Jesus. He's going to have to find a way that he's able to actually see Jesus. But I wanted to talk about something before we get there. Luke adds a little phrase that I think is really important that we often skip over. And the phrase was this. He was short. How short? Well, my professor, Dr. Zorn in college said this. He was so short that when he sneezed, his forehead hit the ground. Right? I like that one. Right? He was short. He was short. And oftentimes in this encounter, we, we read right over that because we know the song, it becomes familiar. But I got to thinking, this is how my mind works. Why in the world did Luke tell us he was short? Because when I'm talking about people, I very rarely bring up their height, right? I bring up a lot of things before I bring up their height. But Luke is very specific that he was short. Like it's like a main point of who Zacchaeus is. He was short. In the Greek, it reads, he was small in stature. A rougher translation is he had a body like a child. He was short. He was really, really short. So what happens to short people in school and life growing up? They get made fun of, don't they? At times. They get picked on. They get teased. And he was a man and he was short. So Zacchaeus probably was made fun of. Probably was teased because of his height. Probably just kind of um, got a little bit of a complex. And he's like many of us. He probably felt lesser than because he was short. And like many of us, we have something in our lives that make us feel lesser. Something we did. Family tree we come from. We don't have enough money. The way our house looks. The way we look. We have something in our lives that make us feel lesser. And it's so easy when you're listening to the voice of insecurity and you're allowing Satan to be in your thoughts that your mind gets stuck on those thoughts. And, and when your mind gets stuck on those thoughts, those insecurities, those things that make you feel lesser, it often causes you to do things that you wouldn't naturally do. So when Zacchaeus decides, when he grows up and he decides he's going to find a job, what do you think this short man wanted to do? He probably wanted to find a job with a little bit of power, with some authority, maybe, just maybe, this is my opinion, maybe, just maybe, a job where he could get back at the people who gave him a rough time. So he becomes a tax collector. And not just a tax collector, he becomes the OG of tax collectors. He was the chief tax collector. And he was probably hated by everybody. Tax collectors, as we've said many times, were cheats and corrupts. They would take they would take what you owe the Roman government and charge you maybe 10, 15, 20, 30 percent more and pocket themselves pocket themselves. So he's wealthy. So everybody hates him, but he's probably got the biggest house on the block. He's got the infinity pool. He's got the Yeezys on his feet. He's got all the newest clothes. He's got the best donkey in town, right? Best donkey in town. He's probably got servants. But this man had all that, but at the end of the day, he was still short. So he has to climb up a tree. The short man ends up climbing up a tree. 
and Jesus is walking through town. And as Jesus walks through town, this is what happens next. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down. Again, I imagine his little legs climbing down that tree, right? Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Jesus is walking through this town and he's surrounded by crowds like Joey Burrow walking through Cincinnati, right? Like everybody wants to see him. And everybody's watching what Jesus does. And Jesus gets closer and closer to the tree. And he walks up to the tree and don't miss what he does next. I love how Luke puts it here. He says he called him by name. Jesus calls him by his name. He says, Zacchaeus. He doesn't say, hey, tax collector. Hey, short man. Hey, dude, who everybody hates and keeps cheating out of everybody out of money. Hey, look at me. No, no. Zacchaeus hears the sweetest sound that anybody could ever hear. What we want to hear someday. The Savior of the world saying his name. Hey, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is in the tree. He's probably thinking, how in the world does he know my name? How does he know who I am? And then he would change he knows my name. Jesus. The one doing all the miracles and all the performance, the, the, all the like, you know, feeding the people and all the teachings and all the stuff that he's been doing. This man knows me. The man that everybody wanted to see. He comes up and he, and he, he talks to me. And what I love about this is that Jesus came looking for Zacchaeus while others ran from him. And if I could give, like, if I could just say, man, what do I want to be known for as a minister or a church? I want to be the church that looks for, went looking for other people that other people ran from. I want to be a church, I want to be the minister that went looking for the people that other people wrote off. That didn't, that didn't give them a chance. Jesus came looking for Zacchaeus. Others ran from him. And not only does he come and say, hey, Zacchaeus, I know your name. He says, Zacchaeus, I want to eat with you. He, he's invite, he basically invites himself to his house. He says, Zacchaeus, get down from that tree, man. We're going to eat at your house. And eating was a big deal. Like, it's not like today, you know, you go out to eat with someone and half the time you're on your phone scrolling through it. No, when you went to eat at someone's house, it was the, your way of saying, I identify with this person, right? I identify with this man. We're friends. He's, uh, I, I'm with him. So Jesus said, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm with you. And this should be no surprise. Zacchaeus does this over and over. I mean, Jesus does this over and over again through Scripture. Over and over again. He invites people and, and he talks to people and he has disciples that, you know, that other people wouldn't, wouldn't want. And he talks to the prostitutes and women caught in adultery. And, and he talks with the sinners and eats with the sinners. And, and Jesus did this not because he agreed with them or he agreed with all that they did or how they lived, but he did this to let them know, this is so important. Why did Jesus do this? To let them know they can have a redemption. They can have redemption through him that he can give them new life. How is anybody supposed to have redemption? How is anybody supposed to come to Christ if they don't know that they can come to Christ? So you say, listen, I know what you've done. I know where you've been, Zacchaeus, but you can have redemption. I can give you new life. And Jesus knew who Zacchaeus was. 
He knew how he lived and his shortcomings and his fall. He knew how he was a cheat. He knew how he cheated people out of everything. But that didn't stop him from trying to reach him and offer him a new life. Well, meanwhile, while all this is going down, remember, there's people watching. There's a crowd. And in verse 7, if this doesn't tell you about church at times, it says, all the people saw this and they began to mutter. They began to complain. He has gone to be the, the guest of a sinner? What they're saying is, why didn't he pick me? Hey, we're here too. We're, we're better than Zacchaeus. We look better. We do the right things. We're not tax collectors. Why didn't he pick us? He's going to go hang out with the sinners? Come on. Of all the people Jesus should have picked, Zacchaeus, he'd be the last choice. And I imagine Zacchaeus and Jesus heard all this complaining and this muttering going on. Yap, 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 yap. And I, and I just, in my, my mind, I imagine Jesus putting his hand on Zacchaeus, right? Probably like this, right? He's a wee, wee little man. Put his hand on the back of Zacchaeus. Say, hey man, listen, I'm with you. I'm with you, not them. Let's go, let's go eat. Right? And one of the things that we got to remember that made Jesus angriest with religious people is that they lived like sinners couldn't be redeemed. Jesus like, Zacchaeus, let's go. And he's doing this publicly. publicly. So they, they go to his house, and it kind of skips it. We don't really know what happens. And there's a conversation that happens. And somewhere in the conversation, this is what the outcome happens. I don't know what was said. We don't know what was said. But they start talking. In verse 8, it says, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. You know what this is called? This is repentance. Zacchaeus, this man of wealth, this, this man of power, this man who is used to cheating everybody out of everything, says, because of what I just set, heard from you, Jesus, because of this encounter with you, I'm repenting, I'm changing my life, and totally trying to redeem myself through you. This is, as one person said, this is a conversation, a conviction that leads to conversion. Conversation of conviction. Right? We, we should, people need to know they're sinning, and people need to know that they're living outside of God's will. But this, converse, this conversation and, this, and conviction leads to conversion. And I imagine as Zacchaeus is eating, he's eating, he's like, man, I haven't eaten with anybody but a tax collector for a really long time. Well, as long as I can remember. Because tax collectors would probably only eat with tax collectors and other people who were seen as lesser than in sheets. And he's probably thinking, do you think Jesus really knows me? He's got to know me, right? It's Jesus. He's raised the dead. He's fed thousands of people with some fish and bread. He can walk on water. He's performed all these miracles. He knows me, right? And he knows me? And he doesn't write me off. He doesn't size me up and, and look, write me off. Zacchaeus like, man, this is this isn't like anybody. And we don't know everything that happened in the conversation, but I guarantee you, somewhere in this conversation, Jesus offered him new life, a chance of redemption, and Zacchaeus jumped on it. 
So I will pay back four times the amount. That's like someone stealing your Amazon package off your porch and giving you six, six, you know, 60 more because he stole one, right? He's like, I will give back anybody what I owe. He's like, I'm changing my life. And I love Jesus' response. What's Jesus say? Today, salvation has come to this house. Not because Zacchaeus no longer had a bad history. Not because Zacchaeus did all these lists of right things. Not because Zacchaeus went to church 400 times. Not because Zacchaeus knew all the Old Testament scriptures. No, but because he changed his life and said, Jesus, I want to live the life you've called me to. Because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save who? The lost. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Elsewhere it says, Jesus didn't come for the healthy, he came for the sick. Jesus' mission to come to this world was to seek and save the lost. Those who have sinned, that's all of us, those who have, uh, have a rough past, those who have, have messed ups in their lives, those who realize that they need redemption. That's who Jesus came to seek and save. And really there's only one point that I want to take away from this today. And here it is. There's no one too far gone for Jesus to reach. There's no one. You may think there is. You may, you may feel this way. You may look at someone and you think they're too far gone. But there's no one too far gone for Jesus to reach. And so as I looked at this story of Zacchaeus, I'm like, man, this story, th this is what everybody needs to know. This is what people need to hear. And really I started thinking, like, this story, at the heart of this story, I think it goes back to rejection. Right, Zacchaeus being short and being rejected. Zacchaeus being a tax collector, being rejected, and not being able to eat with other people. And then Jesus comes to town, and no longer is Zacchaeus rejected. And then I started thinking about rejection in our life. Everyone hates rejection. Whether it's not getting the job you applied for, whether it's getting broken up with, whether it's that boy or girl you asked out doesn't want to date you, whether it's divorce, whether it's you picked last for the sports team, everybody hates rejection. Everybody hates rejection. And there's a very, very big chance that someone in here today or someone you know is feeling rejected in life by, by their family, by their friends, by the people they love. Maybe they even feel rejected by God. And we have to understand that there is no person in this room, in your life, in the history of the world that was out of God, reach of God's redemption. Now, not all people accepted it, but no one was out of reach. And though Zacchaeus was in a tree, and though Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and though Zacchaeus was a cheat, and though Zacchaeus was short, he wasn't out of reach. And if Jesus can save a short man in a tree, I think, I just think, he can save you where you are at life, in life today. Maybe again, maybe this isn't for you. Maybe he can save that person that you've written off. Maybe you can save that person in your, in your family, your son, your daughter, your grandson, your granddaughter. The people you've written off. If he can find Zacchaeus in a tree, I'm pretty sure he can find you today in your life. I, I love what Dr. D.L. Moody said. He said, Jesus saved Zacchaeus in the distance from the limb to the ground. As Jesus walks up to that tree and he calls Zacchaeus, that is the moment. He hears the Lord, the Savior of the world calling his name. That is the deciding moment. Do I stay in the tree or do I get out? Do I climb down or do I stay up? But Jesus 
Zacchaeus decides to come down, and Jesus saves Zacchaeus in a distance from the limb to the ground. How long would it take to get out of the tree? Two seconds? Zacchaeus is short, maybe 10 seconds, right? Maybe he gets stuck. But Jesus saves Zacchaeus the distance from the limbs to the ground in a matter of seconds. In a matter of seconds. And this may seem too, this may seem crazy, but in a matter of seconds, you can be totally and completely transformed by the grace of Jesus. By one conversation, by one encounter, because that's exactly what happens with Zacchaeus. And one of the points of the story is that we're not too far from Zacchaeus ourselves. We're flawed. We're broken. We have messes. We have shortcomings. People may look at us and write us off. And Zacchaeus is just looking for a way out of that. And his way out was running to a tree and climbing up just to get a peek at possibly seeing a man who could change his life. Well, we don't run the trees, but we run the sex and drugs and relationships. We run to our trees. And the call of the story is this. The trade the tree, whatever you're running to, for the grace of Jesus. The people in your life struggling with addiction, the message they need to hear is like, listen, you can trade that addiction for the grace of Jesus. Those struggling with whatever in their life is that you can trade that for the grace of Jesus. So I want to end with just six quick steps. This is going to be real, real fast. The worship team can even come up if they're in here. And here's six ways. I put five on there twice. So here, five, right? But here's six ways. One, own your mess. We have to own your mess before you can ever realize that you need saved, before God can actually work in your life. You need to own your mess. That's exactly what Zacchaeus did when he said, hey, I'm changing my life. And then you need to stop your old ways. If the old way, if the way you're living gives you the same results, the only way to step into the new is to stop what you're doing currently. Then you need to let go. Let go of what? Let go of the mess. Let go of the past. Let go of the addiction. Let go of the insecurities. Let go of the sin that you're holding on to so tightly. Four, cling to the redemption of Jesus. Let go of that and cling to what Jesus offers, the new life. Make him the savior of your life. Five, step into the new. You can't just cling on, to, cling and not do anything. You got to step into the new and, and live in the new and stop being trapped by the old things. And the last one, share the news, this good news, as much as you can with as many as you can. That's the most important one for many of us. Share the news as much as you can with as many as you can. Jesus came looking for Zacchaeus when everybody else ran away. Jesus came to this world to die on the cross because no one else could save us. And he came to die for you when you were still broken, you were still sinful. And most of us have received that redemption, but if you have not received that today, I'm gonna to invite you to meet me in the back of this room and we'll talk about what that looks like. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for who you are. We're so thankful for stories like Zacchaeus. And Father, we often like to think that we're the heroes of the story that we're the ones that don't need saved, or the ones who are past Zacchaeus. And maybe we, we're not Zacchaeus today, God. Maybe we're the crowd. Maybe we're the ones that are getting in the way of God working in other people's lives. God, but I, but I pray we're a church, and we, the RSEC remains a church that goes looking for people that other people run from. Father, because we know in your story, 
that there's no one too far gone for your redemption your grace that's my story that's our story that's the story of this church that's the story of humanity God and I pray that we are people who share that news as much as we can with as many as we can we love you and I thank you for the opportunity to teach This is lead minister Nathan Pelahowski of RSCC. I just want to welcome you to the RSCC podcast. Here's something I want you to know. I want you to know that you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says that you matter when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Today I hope this message challenges you and encourages you to take your next faith step. It's been great hanging out with you guys today. I hope that message challenges you and encourages you today. We would love to have you on campus sometime at one of our services at 8.30 or 10.45 on Sunday. Or to find out more information about RSEC, you can always go to the RSEC Family app. Or follow us on any social media platform at RSEC Family. Most of all, remember, you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says you matter. Now go and be blessed.